Meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero, thing, our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hello and welcome to Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, uh, the fan hole's most confusingly named spinoff. Uh, this is Mike, I'm going to be your host tonight. And, uh, you know, if if you don't know the uh, gimmick of this show, like, already, then uh, basically, you know, we, we talk about, uh, we have two segments. The first, uh, we talk about a uh, issue in the Thunderbolts chronology, and then in the second half of the show, we talk about a historical issue or something that, you know, either gives the origin of a character in the current Thunderbolts or just gives some background on someone or something that's, like, related to that. So, um, of course, I'm not alone in this. Uh, why don't you guys say hi? Hello, this is Derek. I am here. This is Justin, and I have magic potions in my beard. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. This reference has nothing to do at all with this show, so. <laughs> Good luck it's, figuring that one out. It's, it's tangentially related. Yeah. I'm going to have to get a soup strainer and, like, suck all the potions out of your beard before we take you into custody. But not before I take over Wakanda. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't let Christopher Caprice know. Okay. No. Okay, well, anyway... <laughs> Now that we've gotten all our little in-jokes out of the way, we will be, in the first half of the show, we will be discussing Thunderbolts number six. And uh, Thunderbolts number six has a cover date of September 1997. Uh, It's written by Kurt Busiek, uh, penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by Vince Russell, colored by Joe Rosas, and lettered by Dave Lampfair. Um, It's got a title, Unstable Elements. And I will read a summary I wrote up for this. We open an Avengers mansion, currently occupied by S.H.I.E.L.D., as current S.H.I.E.L.D. commander G.W. Bridge reviews the files on one Baron Helmet Zemo. Bridge notes that Zemo has been quiet for a long time and wonders what kind of nefarious scheme the Baron is cooking up, or even if he has been assembling a new Masters of Evil. And speaking of, we join the Thunderbolts in their new headquarters at Four Freedoms Plaza as Techno runs some scans on Atlas. He determines that Atlas's new growing powers are a direct result of his once dormant ionic powers, and he no longer needs pim particles to grow. As Techno ribs Atlas a bit about his new relationship with their liaison to the mayor's office, Dallas Riordan, 
The two are observed in secret by Citizen V slash Baron Zemo. Zemo is displeased that his men are starting to soften thanks to their roles as heroes and moves to checking on Mach 1 and Songbird. The happy couple are enthusiastically reading the bags of fan mail they've received and exchanging the usual lovey-dovey talk. Growing even more irritated, Zemo turns his monitoring to Meteorite, who is helping their newest member Jolt decorate her room. The two are bonding and Meteorite is slowly cultivating a motherly bond between the teenager and herself. Having heard enough, Zemo summons Meteorite to his office and once she has arrived, proceeds to accuse her of trying to sabotage their mission. Zemo is frustrated that his people are becoming too comfortable with their roles as heroes and that Jolt is already becoming a liability to them. He ponders if they could arrange a quote-unquote accident for their new ward, but Meteorite shoots this idea down, thinking it would make them look bad if the child in their care dies. Zemo decides they must take action to remind the other T-Bolts of who they really are, but before they can discuss the matter any further, Dallas Riordan calls with an emergency situation for the T-Bolts. Once the team is gathered, Dallas tells of the purposeful sinking of a supply ship and a threat leveled at Madison Square Garden and LaGuardia Airport. The T-Bolts all immediately spring into action to save Madison Square Garden because LaGuardia is a dump. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Citizen V splits the team in two to cover both locations. Although Mach 1 complains about being separated from Songbird. At Madison Square, Citizen V's team arrives to find some of the sinister elements of doom waiting for them. Jolt recognizes this team of inhuman creatures that comprise each element from the periodic table. Those present immediately attack the T-Bolts as the screams of hostages are heard from inside the building. Meanwhile, at LaGuardia, the Elements of Doom attack a passenger plane on approach to land, forcing Meteorite's team to both drive the creatures off and find a way to get the plane down safely. Back at Madison Square, our walking Marvel handbook, Jolt, gives Citizen V the lowdown on the Elements of Doom, and the T-Bolts leader makes a note that they are in fact Avengers villains. The Elements demand that the United Nations comply with their demands or they'll kill all the hostages they have within the building. With some quick basic chemistry, Jolt manages to use the elements against each other and blows through a barrier separating them from the hostages. The T-Bolts are horrified to discover that the poisonous members of the elements are quickly suffocating some of the hostages and they must act fast to prevent that. Above LaGuardia, Meteorite's team has driven their elements away but the plane is still going down. Mach 1 has Techno link his armor into the plane's navigation system and attempts to pilot it remotely to a safe landing. At Madison Square, Atlas punches some air holes in the building while the others try to rescue hostages. Songbird is trying to blow the poisonous vapors in the air out, but is unable to do so until Techno, Mach 1, and Meteorite arrive, having dealt with their situation at LaGuardia. Songbird creates a, spe a specialized fan thanks to Techno's specifications and effectively removes the poison from the air. With the full team of T-Bolts present, the Elements decide to cut their losses and retreat. In the aftermath, Citizen V orders the team to get the victim's medical attention. Back, up, back at T-Bolts HQ, Dallas congratulates the T-Bolts on foiling the Elements' plot and Jolt and the others are eager to track them down and bring them to justice for what civilian casualties were suffered. 
However, Citizen V uses the opportunity to demand access to the Avengers files again. He angrily points out that had they known more about the elements of Doom ahead of time, they could have stopped them much faster, and places the blame squarely on the lack of trust afforded to the Thunderbolts by the city. Dallas is taken aback by Citizen V's harsh words, but is unable to fulfill his request. Citizen V then decrees that his team will not aid the city again until the Avengers files are granted to him and cuts communication. The others are stunned that Citizen V would issue such an ultimatum, especially Jolt, but her righteous indignation is shut down by their leader. Meteorite notes the tension in the room and senses opportunity to be continued. So yeah, this is... um. I think this is yet another issue that I actually missed upon my like original read through of Thunderbolts way back in the day. I don't think I could find a back issue of it and I eventually like acquired it later. But this is actually the start of sort of a three-parter feature featuring like the elements of Doom as the main villains. So and uh like and it, it you know it obviously moves the larger plot around but uh, like what, when did you guys like first read this issue was like, I assume it was like you guys managed to get it on the first like run through, but like, what about you, Justin? Yeah, I think I picked this up from my local Walden books. Um, I liked it. I liked the elements of doom. Like I remember reading their first appearance, like back when I was collecting, you know, the volume one of Avengers, I was like, Oh, these are kind of interesting guys. And I don't know. I always thought they, I don't know, maybe Derek can back me up, maybe not, but for some reason, they remind me of the Gas Gang, who fought, like, the Middlemen. I mean, they don't look anything oh, like okay. the Gas Gang, but for some reason, I guess, like, the way their powers work, they remind me of the Gas Gang. You know you know what I was thinking of? I, I, I feel like they're, like, a low-rent UFOs or something. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't know. Like, yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I, I see what you're saying, too. It's like a gang of guys, and they... They transmute and that kind of stuff. So, I yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is a solid issue. I think Bagley's art here is really solid. And I like all the, like, mental anguish that Baron Zemo was going through. Like, he's clearly having problems with his teammates, like, you know, acting out of character, at least as he sees it. I mean, for the audience, it's good that we see these uh, former bad guys, like, start to, you know, have better qualities develop and maybe form stable relationships, but it's clearly a thorn in his side. And I kind of like that confrontation he has with uh meteorite because everything she says is, I, I mean, I think it's pretty on base. She's like, Oh, you want us to go back to being crooks, even though you told us like a few issues ago, not to do that. And she's also like, well, look, we just took this girl in. How's he going to look to the public? If she has an accident while she's working with us, like that's not going to look good. And, I'm like, well, yeah, like she's she's totally on point. I think he's kind of like, if I guess he feels like he's losing control of his team, and that's I think that's what is the ultimate source of his outburst at the end. It's not so much about the files; it's just like, you know, he's Baron Zemo. He feels like he's losing control. He needs to regain control, and it's manifest in that like emotional outburst at the end. He's like, "We're not helping you. Goodbye." He should be like, have you not read the Batman? His youthful charges die all the time and no one bats an eye. We will, we will destroy Jolt now! You know, like, but, yeah. I, I, I mean, th this is a good issue. I, I read it from a comic shop 
you know, just like all the other ones at this point. But I think by this point, I hadn't bought, you know, how I always tell the story about how I bought a set of them to sort of catch up because Wizard told me to. And I did. But I think by this point, I was, you know, reading it month to month and everything. So I it, it was a fun story to revisit. I feel like I haven't revisited it in a really long time. So a lot of the a lot of the beats and, and imagery was was sort of fresh to me just because it's been so long. But I, I enjoyed reading it um, as far as the elements of Doom go. They first showed up in Avengers 188 and they were just like Joel says, you know, Falcon was a member of the team at the time who seemed to have like a chip on his shoulder it's like every five minutes he was complaining about something or other and he's one of the guys that gets captured and is about to get turned into an element of doom because i guess then they were like in the middle of russia and they were trying to like i guess they were converting people into elements of doom like there had to be some kind of human host body or something like that but then i think later in the avengers collector's edition they were just kind of like you know alien beings and they didn't need a human host or whatever and i think that's what's going on here how, how does that work do they just like make up an element like like falcon you will be birdium or something like we well see that's that's what confused me because because i like they were all legit elements in the first appearance but then because the collector's edition takes place in wakanda they turn a wakandan citizen into vibranium like like literally you know and i was just like well wait that doesn't even really come from planet earth and it's not on the periodic table of elements and like whatever but like i i, I it seemed like in the avengers issue they just put them in a tube and then you know it's like it's like it's like there was i think there was like a russian guy who got put in a tube and then it's like you are now cobalt and he's like i'm cobalt you know and that that's just how it you know that's it was it was kind of bill mantlo you know you know john byrne art and the, you know they just kind of stuck guys in a tube and they became you know elements basically yeah this well not this issue but this storyline at least i think it would be the next issue was the one i actually bought uh was the first time i ever encountered them and i think it's a it's a good idea for like a villain team because you know you've got a you know every any possible element on the periodic table you've got a like character out of it basically so but uh I don't know, maybe if I hadn't encountered it when I did, like in Thunderbolts and like it they didn't make such a like good showing here, I probably would have thought they were lame. But like as it is, like I think they're kinda cool. I mean, I, I think just based on the fact that that Kurt Busick is using all the elements on the periodic table, like it was like, oh, yeah, I, I I felt like in the, the Avengers title there it seemed like there was a finite amount of characters because they were trying to make them you know but this it seems like they're all there because i was like trying to follow all the different characters names and stuff and so i'm like sitting there thinking to myself oh okay so phosphorus shows up you know uh barium shows up cobalt shows up iron shows up but then before you know it you're like wait there's chlorine and there's arsenic and you know what i mean and i was just like they just kept coming out of the woodwork so i was like these guys are like fucking Pokemon, man. They just keep coming, you know? Like, so I was like, I, you'd think just by sheer numbers, people would be like overwhelmed by, it's like, I mean, think about it. It's like, it, it's kind of like what I always say is like, I don't care who you are. If you're the X-Men or whoever, I'm like, if you're fighting a legion of superheroes, they're the legion of super, you know, like that, that it's in their name. There's legion of them. Right. Like, and, and it just seems like, dude, that's like, what is that? Like 109 
guys to fight. Like that's a lot of that's a lot of people to fight, man. So like that that was something that was occurring to me while I was reading this. It's nice to see uh, GW Bridge in a normal shield outfit. Like I'm always gonna say that instead of uh, goofy ass you know thunder thighs and Rob Liefeld shoulder pads and goofy ass whatever like communication gear that's like stuck to somebody's forehead for no reason or whatever you know it's nice to just see him in a regular you know shield outfit and all that kind of good stuff and then uh, i think my favorite line from this issue was when uh, you, you talk about zemo losing control like here's here's a nice moment where he he has complete control of the situation and they're they're owning the elements of doom left and right and when they finally defeat them he's kind of like you might consider changing your name to the elements of failure you know, and I was just like, that's fucking awesome. Like, fucking losers. Like, yeah, so I, I thought that was pretty rad. Yeah, I, I dug that. Uh, like, I, I, I you know, as as we I said in the summary, it's like everyone's starting to, you know, really get into the hero thing. Like, I, I think, you know, and I think you said last time, Derek, like, Mach 1 and Songbird are still in, like, the honeymoon phase. So they're, like, you know, yeah. still all, yeah. like, lovey-dovey and, you know, I, I, they're they're cute together. Um, I, I, I do, I do like the moment where, um, Mach 1 has to land the plane, because I think that's a, like, a specific situation where his skills, like, are, like, you know, perfectly suited for the situation, basically, when, you know, Techno links him into the plane and he has to land it, and I mean, it happens off panel, but, like, it's still, like, a cool, like, moment for him. See, I think that should have been the cover for this book. Like, I mean, mm. this cover is nice, but it, you know, it's one of those, like, doesn't happen in this issue covers. Like, yeah. the cover should have been, like, Techno, like, at the, like, on top of a plane trying to, like, steer it out of, con- steer, uh, steer it into control or something. I, yeah, I kind of feel like the cover's slightly, you know, like Justin's saying, it's slightly misleading. Like, you, you'd think the, the, based on the cover, the crux of the conflict would be, atlas's relationship with dallas but i mean that that's here i I mean it's peripherally here like i wish i i I wish i was confident enough in any relationship i had that if uh uh, a girl i liked showed up on the view screen and i could just be like sup dallas looking good in front of like all my teammates but i mean other than that like there's not too much else to it like in terms of the relationship i mean i think at some point, Techno is kind of like, hey, things are going that good because they have the discussion about can Atlas have kids now based on the the tweaks in his abilities, you know, and stuff with the, you know, basically all his his powers are now just ionic generated and don't have anything to do with pin particles anymore based on the tests that he's been running on Atlas. And so he has that conversation about, well, does this mean I can have kids now? And then, you know, of course, he's like, is, is it going that good? You know, like, like, are you getting ready to give her to D? <laughs> I can get some kids or whatever. And, and he's kind of like just, you know, I guess still in, again, the honeymoon type stage with that relationship. You know what I find a little bit odd about that scene is, like, he's become, like, more ionic, but he's looking more human. Like, I feel like that's, like, almost counterintuitive, like, because... You know, I feel like, you know, using the PIM particles is like sort of an artificial like add on or whatever. And being like ionically powered as being like, you know, you know, having the power. But, you know, Techno says, oh, your cells look more human. 
now that you're like ionically charged again or whatever. I I'm, I don't know. I mean, it, it's like I'm not going to sit here and like pontificate like comic book science. I mean, it basically, if you if you take what he says at face value, then what Techno says is that the ionic energy retreated. So it's like it's in his cells, but it's not it's not mutating them or changing them or anything like that. Like whereas probably when he initially got his power up and and it had to do with pim particles and all that other stuff, like conceivably it made him, you know, quote unquote more than human, right? So then that that actually changed his cellular structure where he I think when he says he's more human, it's like your cells look normal to me. They look like normal human cells and the ionic part of it is inside your cells. So then conceivably he can, he can draw on it. Right. But it's not, it, it doesn't make his cell look, you know, I don't know, like a freaking star or, you know, it's some, something that it's not supposed to look like. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Uh, I guess what I was going to say in terms of the honeymoon period, I, I, I do think it's funny that there's that moment where, Mach one kind of like freaks out that him and Songbird are going to be split up, you know, like in terms of when when and and that's another aspect to what you and Justin have both been saying about Zemo exerting control and just saying, if I, you know, basically, if I tell you to split up, then you split up, you know, like like it's not, you know, this isn't all like, you know wine and roses and you know that kind of thing it's like it's not it's not it's not date night like we're going out to like fight people and shit so that that you don't have to be on the same team as your girlfriend basically right like that's the and and that's another example of him sort of laying down the law as far as that goes i do like like jolt's purpose is like like especially in these like first ten issues is to like I said be the Marvel handbook like I so I, I always like when she's like oh I recognize these guys like you know and Justin even though like all those guys are pretty experienced it's like they don't know everyone yeah and it's cool because you you can tell like she has the youthful exuberance and 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 she's she's a fangirl without being like super obnoxious, right? Like she knows she's like, Oh, I remember that interview the Falcon gave, like, that's why she knows who they are. Right. Like, because she's, she's read up on them just in her, you know, everyday life or whatever. So she remembers that article and she probably was following, you know, articles on the Avengers or something like that. And then, you know, that, that obviously plants the, the, uh, the idea in Zemo to to make sure he keeps badgering them about the Avengers files later on. What did you guys think about uh what did you guys think about Moonstone like like with Jolt? Like how much of that do you think is genuine versus how much do you think that's manipulation? Like like it is is she doing it mostly for herself? Is she doing it to push Zemo's buttons or is there do you think there's there's certain aspects where she's she's you know you know how they say you know to to make a lie work you have to sort of sprinkle a little truth in there like is there a little truth that that she she does kind of want a daughter or something like that or if she did want a daughter that she she enjoys you know Jolt's company or that kind of thing but I, I don't know I just thought it was interesting because because it if if it is genuine, it it seems like an interesting turn for a character that's as cold and calculating as her. And if it's 
if it's sort of fake, you know, or if it's if it's kind of a manipulative tact, then I mean, it also sort of works given that you know her background and what she's done up to this point. I I don't think it's genuine at all. Like knowing knowing you know meteorite moonstone like. I think, like, she even says, like, when she's talking to Zemo, like, when he says, like, unless you have a problem with us killing her, and she's like, well, not conceptually, it's just, like, logistically I do, though. Mm. And, I, you know, maybe a little while on, she, you know, she'll, she'll, I don't think she's bonded to Jolt, like, unwillingly or willingly enough yet to really probably care if she dies, but, you know, that doesn't mean it won't happen. Yeah, I don't believe anything she says. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's perfectly fair. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there because I mean, she, she, that's that's kind of her angle the whole time. Like, I, I mean, I know later in the series she probably gets a little more dimensionality, but at this point, I mean, everything you guys say seems to be pretty solid. You know? Do you guys think Zemo is kind of? showing his hand a little too much at the end there or do you think it's you know he's still like within the borders of what you think you know like i i always kind of thought like you know music was trying to like start to starting to show like the cracks like you know starting in like the facade but do you do you, maybe you guys think differently maybe you think it's a brilliant like chess move or something but what what exactly do you make of that at the end I just see it as him, like, losing control, you know, kind of like how I described earlier. He's kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, not quite at his wit's end with his teammates, but he's very frustrated with, uh, you know, the way that their characters are developing. You know, he, he kind of th- he kind of thinks that they are really enjoying their role as heroes, so that's frustrating to him. He probably doesn't like, you know, having to justify some of his plans to meet her right you know he's like oh we're gonna kill this chick and she's like you know giving him a lip about it and then also he's got uh you know he wants to get these files and he can't get them because he just sees like red tape and you know i think i do think he kind of overplayed his hand because i mean if you were like a you know a superhero team and saving people was your you know 24 7 job would you really be that angry about not getting those files? Like, I would be a little suspicious, but I don't know. To me, it seems like if you're talking about somebody who's supposed to be a, uh, you know, your your standard traditional kind of comics code approved hero, right? There, there'd be the guys that they they'd be upset about it, and I, you know, if it was Captain America, he'd go blast it after the person got off the line, and maybe slam his fist and then have a little thought balloon and say, gee whiz, it would have been really useful to have them files, but we'll just have to deal with it and whatever. And then they go on about their business and it'd be part of the pathos. But for, for somebody like Zemo, who who is not your standard, you know, quote unquote comics code, superhero morality type guy. I mean, you know, to him, like, you know, we talk about how it's from his perspective, right. And he has his own, machinations and plans and everything but like i mean there's there's some brilliant like dialogue here with like kurt Busick where he's you know he, he basically says you know they're adulpated with romantic thoughts and dreams of family you know like and it's like it's like all that stuff is an anathema to him it's like what what do you you know it's like it, it it's kind of like if if you were 
I don't know. If you were pretending to do something in order to achieve a goal, and then and then you ended up enjoying your pretense. I mean, to him, he's like, "What the fuck's wrong with you guys? You know, like this is this is not who you are. We're 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 doing a we're 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 doing a long term con. Like you don't you don't con yourself in a long term con. You know, it's like it's like to him, it's like it, it's kind of frustrating because." They're they're falling for their own con. You know what I mean? Like like it's like you you know to me it's like and and then and then it's even harder because since Jolt's there, he can't actually like browbeat or slap them into obedience and be like he can't have this moment where he says what the fuck's wrong with you guys because Jolt's there all the time. You know like so so like that's I I, I can see that being like the. The frustration like do do i think i mean the, the whole point of the end scene is that it, it's kind of like a moment where he he loses it and goes over the line and everything but i i don't think it's not i think it's salvageable do you know what i mean like like yeah, if he's trying yeah. to maintain the pretense it's like it's like any you you could you know it, it depends on like i said the outcome and how you play it right but i mean anybody could could say look I, you know, I have a lot of pressure. I've got a lot of responsibility. I'm the leader of this team and we're supposed to take over for the Avengers. And, you know, it's like, I just had a lot on my mind and I didn't, you know, think that I would get so upset, you know, or what, you know, however the fuck he wants to play it. Right. But that, that I mean, you know, that, that, that's why, you know, I think meteorite moonstone finds this all you know super duper interesting or whatever because she can kind of sit back and play off to the sidelines and everything whereas as he's kind of got to be at the forefront of it all but you know at the same time you're, you're kind of thinking like okay i get that these files are don't belong to to the thunderbolts per se but it, it's kind of interesting because this is another crack right in the armor because it's like the thunderbolts themselves have their own honeymoon period, like with the public and all that other stuff, you know? So it's like, they let them move into four freedoms. I mean, like, like you think the next step would be giving them the, the, the file access and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if, you know, I mean, uh, imagine if they were like, pretend they're not doing a long-term con. I mean, like if you were just a new superhero team on the block and, and, and you could have had information that would have helped you, and and it's being denied because of, you know, local like government red tape. Like like I would be pissed. I mean, you know, it's like it's like either that or or the the only other thing you could do is just like they're playing a long term con. Like you you'd have to learn to play the game. It's like okay, you know, if if yelling and pointing fingers at Reardon doesn't get get them to release the Avengers files. It's like, what will? Do they have to blackmail somebody? Do they have to, you know, fill out like 20 million pounds of paperwork? Like, what, whatever it is that lets them get it, it's like, I'm kind of surprised that they're, they're not working other angles other than just, we had a really bad fight. Give me the files. You know, like, like maybe there could have been something else they could have pursued in terms of that but i mean you know th this is a little more straightforward it's kind of like there you know this is a th th this is kind of like a, a climax and and he's i'm zemo and i've had it up to here you know like with with your incompetence i mean and and then zemo of course is probably used to having toadies and underlings and and people that you know 
basically do what he tells them to do. And, and maybe he's not as accustomed to being in an environment like I described where you have to play certain games and, and sort of, you know, work the system from within, right? He's, his system is people, he does, he tells them to do something and they do it. Right. But now he's got to work within the system where he tells somebody to do something. And then there's like this discussion about, we got to take a vote on it or I got to check with my boss first, or I got to, you know, there's legal red tape or there's political red tape. And he's not used to somebody saying no to him either. So, I mean, all those things are probably fairly frustrating. And yeah. And you know, the pressure is, you know, he, he's not liking what he's seeing with the, the rest of his team. And, you know, he, he's probably like, you know, I'm sleeping like it's only a matter of time before one of you accidentally calls me Baron V. Too late. <laughs> it's only a matter of time before some recap page calls me Baron <laughs> V. Uh. But yeah, look, and, and I think like, you know, he's a bit like, like you said, Derek, he's a bit arrogant. I mean, like he called strucker on strucker's personal line like a few issues ago and said like don't fuck with us like yeah and like you know even strucker was kind of like how the hell did he know my personal like numbers like so i mean and and even like the first scene like gw bridge is starting to like not suspect but he's kind of like you know it's isn't it like coincidental almost that he's thinking of baron zemo and like why hasn't baron zemo made a move in a long time like like what's what's his angle? Like what, there's there's got to be some kind of angle here. Yeah, well, I, I guess I guess it's also to set up the vibe that yeah, there there may be this uh, kind of the everyday Marvel universe public perception of the Thunderbolts as these great new heroes on the scene. Meanwhile, you look at like the you know the 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 organizations, the the espionage organizations of the Marvel universe, and you've got the the director of it basically kind of going hey now like like you know we're supposed to have eyes on this guy and we don't have eyes on this guy so we know he must be up to something and and that just brings another layer to you know kind of where the story is is moving towards but yeah like this is a you know another solid issue um another like like i always say like busick does a great job of balancing like plot with you know action and you know characterization like he's he's a master of his craft and uh you know this is yet another installment and a demonstration of that and you know bagley's art is strong as ever um i mean do you guys have any final thoughts or nine nine this is not an incompetent issue no, very. It's very competent. Very good. The the last thing I'll say is like I did like I joked in my summary. I did kind of have a laugh where they're like, "Oh man, we gotta go save Laguardia Airport." I'm like, Laguardia's <laughs> a friggin' dump. Like, come on. Like, even back in 1997, like everyone just, knew that. So just, just just think of it like Defensor. You know, it's like the people. You know, <laughs> it's like it's not it's not about the airport. It's about the people inside. Okay. I guess that's how we have to rationalize it. But yeah. All right, then. Well, that that was Thunderbolts number six. And uh, we will take a quick commercial break and then we will come back with some uh, historical goodness. So stay tuned. Hey, kids. Do you like comics? Uh Uh-huh. Do you like Iron Man comics? Uh Uh-huh. 
Do you want to learn more about Iron Man's downward spiral from alcoholism, fear of commitment, and feelings of inferiority leading the egomaniac into a life of misery? Uh, what? Then listen to the Invincible Iron Cast Classics Edition and see Tony Stark go from genius billionaire playboy philanthropist to genius billionaire playboy philanthropist with awesome weaponized armor. Relive classic stories like Demon in a Bottle, Armor Wars, Doom Quest, and more. Hosted by me, Mike Staley. So how about it, kids? Do you want to listen to the Invincible Iron Cast? Uh-huh. Well, too bad. You need to do your homework. Uh-huh. The Invincible Iron Cast Classics Edition. On iTunes or at invincibleironcast.podbean.com. Alright, guys. Uh, welcome back to... Justice not entirely dissimilar to lightning. Uh, now we're, we're in the second half of our show where we look at a important historical issue or series of issues uh, to Thunderbolts history. And uh, Derek, why don't you like, you know, give the background on what we'll be discussing and like why, why it is significant. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm sort of cheating here, but I'll, I'll get into my, my reasoning and everything. And I, I'm lazy. I just want to put another, single issue that that mostly I'm trying to do, you know, a single issue of Thunderbolts and a single historical issue. But uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. issue number 18 that has a cover date of March 1971 and which was released on sale date of December 15th, 1970, is a essentially it's like a best of or greatest hits type thing for uh, Nick Fury and it actually reprints three of the short, uh, sort of like twelve-page stories from the Strange Tale series. So the Strange Tale series was basically split up at that time between Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, and Doctor Strange. And so there'd be you know dual stories in that comic book magazine. And my rationalization is the the first appearance of Fixer is Strange Tales 141. This Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. issue 18 actually reprints 142 to 144. So what I told everybody to do was read 141 to 143, but we're just going to say that it's Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. 18 and and be done with it, like in one fail swoop. And uh, I will give the synopses that I shamelessly stole from the Marvel wiki page for the three issues of Strange Tales. And we're not really going to worry about Strange Tales 144. So Strange Tales 141 is titled Operation Brain Blast. As the Hydra agents are being rounded up by S.H.I.E.L.D., Fury, Agent G, Dum Dum, and Gabe Jones, they break through the steel door that leads to the building above. Meanwhile, Imperial Hydra, who was revealed to be Arnold Brown the previous issue, hesitates with his finger over a destruct button, thinking that his daughter, Agent G, will be killed in the blast. Two Hydra agents, in their haste to escape, shoot and kill Brown despite his claims that he is their leader. The others dash in and Agent G grieves over her father's body. With some urging from Fury, she escapes, quote-unquote, and he returns to S.H.I.E.L.D. Once there, he is unwittingly part of an experiment conducted by the newly created ESP Division of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
thousands of miles away, a former agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is awoken as he senses the telepathic minds behind Operation Brain Blast. The man uses his mind to locate a prisoner called The Fixer, eh? who is using his talents to break out of jail. The man realizes that if they work together as a team, they'd be able to rule the world. Back at S.H.I.E.L.D., it is explained that Operation Brain Blast is trying to find a defense against mind readers, and Fury is told about the ex-S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and the power he has. Then this is continued in Strange Tales issue 142, titled Who Strikes at S.H.I.E.L.D.? Watching from S.H.I.E.L.D., Fury and the other agents are able to see Mentallo team up with the Fixer. As S.H.I.E.L.D. prepares their defenses, Fixer and Mentallo prepare to attack from underground. The Fixer mentions that he has been assisted in his fantastic constructions by THEM, but refuses to elaborate. The two manage to make their way through S.H.I.E.L.D. and are able to incapacitate Fury and his men. Attaching an electronic mask on Fury's face, the Fixer reveals that now Nick Fury is theirs to command. Then this is continued in Strange Tales issue 143, titled To Free a Brain Slave. While S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters is in the hands of Mentallo and the Fixer, with Fury a helpless prisoner, Dum Dum and his men prepare to strike back. Tony Stark takes command as the Technos prepare his neutralizer. The ESP division are unable to pick up any trace of Fury's thoughts. The baddies attach a miniature H-bomb to Fury's wrists, then remove the mind control mask. Big mistake, as Fury immediately begins thinking of an old war song, which acts as the go signal. After a burning chemical forces the baddies to remove their protective helmets, they come under attack by the ESP division. While Fury holds out, Stark's neutralizer dissolves the H-bomb. Mentallo and Fixer fight to escape, but are quickly captured with the help of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s metronome unit. It is revealed that the ESP attack has destroyed Mentallo's powers, and that Fury was wearing a mental transmitter to contact them. But elsewhere, a jet takes off from the helicarrier, but is quickly shut down by a flying golden egg. And, of course, the last part of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. issue 18, is what happens in the next issue of Strange Tales, which is the Day of the Druid, but we're not going to worry about that for the purposes of this story, because the reason why we're covering this is, essentially, these issues involve the first storyline in Marvel Comics featuring the Fixer, who, of course, we all know goes on to be Techno in the Thunderbolts. So we just wanted to get a vantage point on Fixer, a.k.a. Techno. So that's mainly why we're looking at these and mainly why we're covering them. And and I guess I, I'll just open it up to you guys. Like, is this the first time you've uh, if you've read this series of issues or had you read these before? This is the first time I've read these specific issues. Like, I've read the Sterenko Nick Fury stuff and I've read most of the Doctor Strange stuff from... Uh, Strange Tales, but I don't think I've read these specific issues before. So these uh, these are interesting. These were a lot of fun. Like there's um, there's so much uh, creativity going on in these issues. I mean, people always give Stan praise for coming up with you know whatever you know characters and concepts, but like these issues are just jam packed full of like way out there ideas. I mean, you've got like the Shield 
ESP division and flying hovercars and the uh, uh, gunslinging robot thing that goes out of control that they threw in just because, like, Jack Kirby drew it and they thought it was cool. And, I mean, you've got, like, so many things going on. And then on top of that, you've got, like, you got Nick Fury having his adventures and then you've got, like, the fixers showing up and they're talking about them. And it's like, well, who are them? Pray that you never find out. And I was like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't look it up, but I was like, who were them? Like that sounds familiar. And I was like, well, okay. But um, but yeah, these were uh, these were new to me, and they were a lot of fun. What about you, Mike? Is this the first time you've encountered these issues? Yeah, this is this was pretty new to me. I've never read these issues before, and yeah, like I, I had known that like Fixer like first teamed up with like mentalo like because fixers usually in thunderbolts making references sometimes to like oh my old partner mentalo or whatever and mentalo does show up in thunderbolts a couple times so like i i knew of it but i'd never read the actual issues that featured him and yeah like justin said this is this is a lot of fun it's like kooky crazy like jack kirby and stan lee stuff and uh, i do like uh it's it's always weird to like think of it this way but you know, like to see like Tony Stark, like just acting in a capacity of like, you know, shields kind of like inventor or whatever, like, like you wouldn't know it. Cause like nowadays you like, you just kind of automatically associate them, but it's kind of like, Oh yeah. Like he was, he was kind of a supporting character in shield for a long time too, without even being like Iron Man. It, like he was Iron Man, but it's like, they kind of didn't let him be iron man in the shield stories yeah like like that that's the thing that i i think i always had that tough time wrapping my head around in some of these because it's like he was tony stark was shield's q but imagine if q could turn into freaking exo manowar and you're like why wouldn't he do that you know like <laughs> I don't I, like that. That part always kind of cracked me up and everything. And it also kind of reminds me of like this goes back to my little kid feelings when I watched the origin of the Spider Friends, and it was like, oh, that's great that Tony Stark like you know furnished and 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 bankrolled their their secret headquarters. You know, their apartment turned into like this you know electronic you know high tech you know battle or you know kind of command center or whatever and i'm like that's awesome and it's like little did they know that you know tony stark is actually iron man but i mean in that at least they'd be like iron man would have kicked the beatles ass but he was off in space like blowing up random asteroids and stuff so he was totally busy and you could be like oh okay i get it but this is this is not that right it's like it's like oh the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. is, like, totally, like, captured and stuff. So, you know, Tony Stark's, like, giving us the orders and stuff. And it's like, okay, that's great. But then, like, if you're going to do that, why don't you just, like, be like, and oh, and by the way, I'm going to call my bodyguard and you're going to whoop some ass, too. But you know, that never that never sort of seems to go down in this. And I, and, and I guess I'll, I'll be that guy, too. I mean, I'm like, I, I think all the cool stuff in this is probably from Jack. So I'm just going to say that. Stan probably came up with, like, the names, like the ESP command crowd or, or all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I, I'm guessing, like, the, the robots and the, the kooky, you know, inventions that Tony Stark has and all that kind of stuff, like, seems to be, you know, very Kirby-designed tech and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they, they really did like jam pack a whole lot of stuff into these like short kind of 12 page stories. I'm, I'm kind of happy you guys like this just because I think, 
I don't know. To, to me, in comparison, I think I I would fall down a rabbit hole of wanting to keep reading more of these. Like, so one, I know I enjoyed them, but I think the the stuff that I enjoyed the most, and and it's probably why it's the go to for stuff with Shield, is like the the Hydra aspects of this are are you know there's some Hydra aspects in the beginning of this because they're concluding one storyline and leading into another. And then when you've got the, the stuff with Mentallo and Fixer, then it also dovetails back into like AIM and the Secret Empire and then Hydra again. And to answer Justin's curiosity, like who is them? Like in a roundabout way, like the, the simple version is them is Hydra. Like, oh. so... So it's like it's like if you keep reading, it's like it's like the the first time some beekeepers from AIM show up, they're like, we too work for them. And it's like and then and then they run into like somebody from the Secret Empire and they're like, yo, what's up? You also work for them, don't you? We trust you. And they get in like the backseat. And then it turns out it's like Gabe Jones in disguise. And he's like, fool you, motherfuckers. And they get like captured by S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever. And then and then later, like as you keep going into it further, it's like basically the the replacement Supreme Hydra is like and and, you know, of course we are them, you know, and it's like, oh, OK, so basically Hydra was was bankrolling all the fixers inventions and 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 crazy Kirby tech and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's basically the the answer. Like I think the notion is, you know, Hydra, you know, he's got has a, tons and tons of branches and the idea is the Secret Empire and and AIM and all these things were branches of Hydra essentially. And that's sort of like a an in-story retcon, I suppose. You know what I mean? Cuz like I guess you could have thought like if you were reading it in real time, like maybe you thought them was advanced idea mechanics, but then it's like they they all all it's kind of like all roads go to Rome, you know, all roads lead to Rome. It's like all roads lead to Hydra in in like Nick Fury stories, and like I, I think the reason for that is those those are fun, you know. It's like it's like it's very like Joe's versus Cobra. Like it it reminds me of the the early feel of those Larry Hama GI Joe issues, you know, like where you've got a bunch of guys storming, you know, an island or you know some kind of remote location, and it's like we're gonna attack Hydra and and all that kind of stuff. So it's like yeah, I I enjoyed reading these, and but I I do think the kind of bread and butter of a of a Nick Fury story is probably, you know, him going after guys like Hydra and aim and stuff like that. But this, this is, this is interesting. Cause I mean, it's, it's, you know, like, like the ideas that you mentioned, it's like that, that always seemed to me to be, you know, Jack Kirby's forte. He would like throw a bunch of stuff against a wall and just kind of keep, you know, keep spitting out all those various notions, whether it's like the guys that are, you know, doing, it's like they're, they're doing an operation brain blast, you know? And it's like, I don't know, like, like some of this stuff is crazy, but it's like, it, it kind of makes sense within the context of like a, a Marvel comic book, I think. See, I just imagine like Nick Fury was captured and they're like, we're going to take you to meet them. And he meets like a bunch of giant ants. Like that's what I had in my head. <laughs> The ants were like bankrolling, <laughs> like like fixers, like spaceship and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I was kind of thinking, like, I was like, are they talking about like the secret empire? Is that too early for that? Like, I I was trying to like put it in my mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it like, did roll into secret empire stuff too. So, I mean, that that's why I kind of say it's like a a, a mini retcon within the story because it's like 
aim comes up the secret empire comes up so it's like it's like the throwing out all these red herrings i mean i guess technically it's like it's all of them you know what i mean because like hydra's supposed to be the the top of the the uh the organization chart as as we'll say in corporate structure right like hydra's at the top of the org chart so so and it's like i i i haven't read far enough along in this but i think I, I i don't know it's like every time they it's like the supreme hydra keeps changing his identity like where and, and not in terms of like the the one guy who dies and then that guy who dies it's funny like that kind of reminds me of like when uh when in like the the silver age batman comics where like the 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 crooks would find out that joe chill like was the guy who murdered the Waynes, and then they're like, wait a minute, you made Batman? Batman sent me to the slammer. I'm gonna fucking shoot you now. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like that, that kind of like, like lame mentality or whatever. And it's like, it cracked me up that like, it's like, well, I am the Supreme Hydra. And they're like, well, you're just a skinny dude. The Supreme Hydra was a lot taller. He's like, I was wearing lifts. Like, see, like, uh, you know, uh, it's like he gives them the secret Hydra handshake and they're like, no, this is bullshit. We're shooting you. You know, and it's like it kind of, I don't know, that, that kind of stuff cracked me up. Yeah, I like I think I joked to you guys earlier, but I liked all the crazy Jack Kirby like vehicles and stuff like the friggin pendulum boogie boards or whatever they were like <laughs> where it's like they like the the shield agents are like lying on their bellies on these like rocket boards that have this yeah. pendulum thing that like swing back and forth in front of like the, you know the like as a windshield kind of and the idea is like the person shooting at you doesn't know what to shoot at because the pendulum thing is moving back and forth but i was kind of like i don't know how exactly if that works that way but okay I, I that's why I feel like these remind me of like early issues of G.I. Joe where it's like they, they have all these crazy contraptions that that do various, you know, things. But it's like you like like remember that one. I don't even remember what it's called, but there was like this one G.I. Joe. It was like it was kind of like a motorcycle, but it was kind of like a ground like where you would lie down flat on it and everything. It kind of reminds me of that, like. You know, where it, it's like, the, it reminds me of various, like, G.I. Joe vehicles and everything. Stan created them all. He created G.I. Joe Man. <laughs> G.I. Joe Man. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing I thought was kind of cool was how they keep saying that, like, the Fixer could have been, like, you know, is, or is, like, as good as Tony Stark in terms mm. of inventing yeah, yeah, yeah. and shit. And, like... I feel that's always like downplayed like later on, I guess. Like where we're like and even though we, we see him create like this like awesome shit out of nowhere, but like, you know, i feel like they're like you could have been Tony Stark if you were just like not a criminal and an asshole, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting 'cause cause I I feel like the I mean and maybe this is just my inaccurate interpretation, but I guess in reading that it draws a direct parallel to Tony Stark and, and the fixer. And I, I felt like the way the fixer whips up stuff almost magically. Like I almost felt like the fixers more of a contemporary with somebody like forge, like almost like he has an insane, like Mm. powered gift for doing it as opposed to, I don't know, not to say that Tony Stark doesn't have a gift, but I, I, I never, I mean, aside from goofy ass, retcons or whatever like i never i never thought that like tony stark had 
you know, superhuman powers. You know what I mean? Whereas I kind of, I kind of feel like the fixer is almost more than human in terms of how quickly he can come up with his inventions. I, I have a question. In one of those issues, they said that he joined S.H.I.E.L.D., but he tried to take over and they put him in jail or whatever. Do they ever, like, show that story happening in a comic? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Okay. Because I would like to read that. Hopefully, maybe, 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 like, if if we can figure out if that story actually exists, like, we could try to cover that one, too. I demand those comics! <laughs> I feel like this us talking about this is some kind of commemoration of the fixer just cuz like as we record this like the last time I read him was a couple weeks ago where he uh, got his dumbass shot by the punisher uh, or whatever even though like you know he was very poorly written and like and before that I think like he showed up in like Bendis's terrible defenders comic or whatever and him and Moonstone were just two like mooks working for the hood or something so mm. well I mean nobody pays attention to Bendis so yeah those were just LMDs or leftover scrolls from Secret Invasion or something yeah definitely like I, I wouldn't yeah <laughs> And I'm sure uh, Moira McTaggart has already retconned that Punisher run out of existence. <laughs> so, yeah, it's that, just man. like the the same writer as X Men run. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. She's like, Yo, Frank, I'm gonna do you a solid zap. <laughs> Forget that shit, yo. <laughs> so, uh, I, I guess I guess we've all been saying this as a positive. I the only other thing I'll bring up is do you do you think somebody reading this might find like it's too dense like that there's you know how like there's so many ideas that that lee and kirby kind of throw in these 12 pagers like do you think somebody would kind of read this and be oh like in other words like you know how like the frequent complaint for for modern comics for readers like us that grew up reading things in say the 80s and 90s is that there's quote-unquote decompressed storytelling so it's like something that takes you know uh, something that should take one issue gets split into like six issues and the full story is in the trade. Like if, if I were to tell you that I think they fit like three comics into a 12 page half story, like, would you disagree with me? Like, like it, I, I feel like this is almost maybe the opposite end of the spectrum, which is why we're like giddy about it. Cause we're like, this is great. It's 12 pages, but like, there's, there's so much, Con, you like you don't you don't feel like if if this cost five ninety nine you wouldn't have people like yelling and screaming because there's so much in it right like whereas you know most comics they cost five ninety nine and you feel like it takes you like you know you, you get on the toilet you farted and you've already read the comic like so that's and that's the end of it you know yeah I feel like if these were written today this these three issues probably probably would have been like stretched to eight issues or something like yeah this... it'd be, yeah it'd be almost like a year's worth of story or something yeah. Or two trades or something at yeah, least. Yeah. Oh my god, Nick Fury's robot goes out of control. And that that's gonna be like two or three issues right there. <laughs> that one page would be a, a, a Dude, there'd be twenty pages of the scientist who created the robot, like and you know, all his problems, and then he would die at the end, rendering all his problems useless, and then like on the very last page it'd be like, and there was a robot, like next issue, like or whatever. So does this does reading this change any any 
thoughts or any uh, impressions you've, I mean, I know you kind of mentioned the Tony Stark comparison, so I guess that's one thing, but I mean, were there any other aspects of encountering the fixer for the first time in this context that sort of colors, you know, sort of your, your impression of the character, like in terms of what you previously thought? I don't think so. If anything, I'm, I think I'm more impressed by him now. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he. It seems like one of those things where you're like, "Oh, dude, he he went up against Shield." Like he's, you know, and 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 they they do. It, it's fun because they, they're they're decent enough partners, you know, Mentalo and the Fixer. But I do like that they they. It's not like they're trying to backstab one another or, or having thought balloons about killing one another. But they do have that one little kind of exchange where they they both kind of argue with each with each other over who's the more important member in the partnership where it's like, I am Metello. I manipulate minds. Like I will do my, you know, bit in good time fool. And, and meanwhile, like the fixers kind of like, I made all this equipment for you. Dumbass. Like I am the most important one, you know? So like I, I, I that, that was kind of an enjoyable exchange because they, they, they're not exactly, you know, out to murder one another, but, but there is occasionally, you know, them trying to sort of, uh, I guess, you know, pimp themselves as as the most important member of the the duo or whatever or the partnership. I do remember at some point in Thunderbolts, probably in the next like six or seven issues, like I think Moonstone distracts Fixer by like saying like uh, you know if you're so great, why is like your old partner Mentallo like higher on Interpol's like most wanted list than you are? And like and Fixer like freaks out over that. He's like, no, he's not. No, he's not. I am. <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's not. Now, now I want the Fixer to be played by Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> like he's not. No, he's not. He's not. Why I do you lie? I think of this world. Thunderbolts betray me. <laughs> oh, but, hi, Frank. Hi. But Mentello is my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, I don't. I. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Unless you guys have anything else on this, I'm. I'm pretty good. I mean, I. I had a fun time reading this. I. I would. Yeah. I would also recommend just this run in jet like not only just the fixer mentallo arc but like the the continuing arc with you know shield going up against the various uh reincarnations of hydra like all that stuff to me was very compelling like it was funny i started reading these issues for the show but i i, I kept reading after that just because i was enthralled in the story so like that that's probably the best praise i could i could give the run and everything it just it, you know it's like one of those things where you know it has that w what got me into comics in the first place you know you picked up one and then you you couldn't stop you know like you wanted to keep reading more because you were you know it, it did its job it hooked you and then it it threw out some more breadcrumbs and, and kept you, you know, kept reeling you in, you know, like a fish on a hook, you know? So, I mean, I, I think this stuff was, was really, really good. Strange Tales is the Pringles of Marvel comics. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I would just say, like, I really like those Stranko issues of uh, Strange Tales. And like, this makes me want to like read the uh, previous stuff that came before that run. Yeah. Those are, those are good as well. 
do I do like how many like how hard Nick Fury has to hint to like not only his like the girl he's letting escape, but all his like troops like like let her go like and like it's like, yeah why it'd be a shame if you like you know tried on these like boots or whatever like it'd be a shame if you went around the corner like it'd be uh, a shame what are you if saying I, Nick? I don't know and then yeah dum dum's like what are you doing Nick like let's let's shoot her and he's like no 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 she's she's already too far away like and he's like what are you do- talking about she's right there she's like two feet away like. No, no, no! I can't see her anymore. Like what? What? Take five, you mooks. Also, isn't okay. Like I, I read like the reprint of it, but isn't Gabe Jones is supposed to be black, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I, like, they I, I, kind I, of I, color him grayish, like yes. almost. Like well, that that that's. I mean, uh, I I'm, I'm I I hesitate to get into this, but like I mean that like. For me, it was like I, I remember reading like old issues of Swamp Thing or old issues of you know like what whatever it was, and like it kind of reminds me of that color palette thing where I, I'm not going to say it's like banana yellow, but like for for a long time there were I mean that gray was supposedly the the color that they would use, and and even when I was reading later issues of this, I was looking at it, and at some point you're just looking at it going. He looks like a stone man or something, you know, like, like it looks crazy, right? Like that they, they didn't have that palette or maybe they just didn't want to use it. I, I mean, I don't know. You could go into all kinds of conspiracy things. But I mean, I, I remember specifically like there there were issues that I would read of like, you know, mo- mostly like I'm trying to think. But I, I, I feel like it was like Swamp Thing comics and I would notice the same thing. And I just figured, oh, that's that's the palette they're using to represent that. So it's like, to me, it was always like, well, Mark Hamill's not necessarily a blonde, but in Star Wars Marvel comics, he was a blonde, you know? And I was just like, all right, whatever. I'm, I'm just going along with it. I mean, I'm sure now if, if it was reprinted in a Marvel Masterworks or whatever, they would probably, you know, recolor it so that it had a different, you know, a, a more, I, I would say a more lifelike tone because I, that that's the only thing that the reason why I equate it with some of those more hor- horrific comics is I feel like the the Swamp Thing comics like they were supposed to be I don't know like voodoo people or zombies or you know so, something where like it made sense to me because it w- there was something about it where there was something more supernatural whereas I think just this in general you know felt more you know, just kind of like, oh, we use color palette, you know, G twenty three five, you know, and 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 you're just kind of like, okay, just stamp it on there, and you know, and then and then there's there's probably a lot of controversy with, I think, if if I recall correctly, Gabe Jones appears in Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, and I think if you, it's as far as my understanding is, Gabe Jones was always supposed to be African American, but I think in the the original coloring of like the first issue that was released it's like you could tell by his features he was african american but they colored him caucasian cuz the the i don't know the the printers thought it was an error so, i don't know whatever what whatever conspiracy thing you want to go into but it, somewhere along the way that was changed so uh, you know to me i don't know any of the details behind that and i i just assume not get into that but i mean yeah that was I mean, that was a thing with comics back then. I think I think you'll find not only in this, but there, there were probably other comics 
older where you'd look and instead of using kind of like you know more rich probably like browns that are more lifelike or i you know i'm probably not thinking of the right you know color palettes but i mean you know something that is more representative of of the skin tone that would be more lifelike as opposed to him looking like freaking i don't know dark side or something like that which is kind of what he looks like in most yeah that's what I, I I remember reading something to that effect, but I yeah like I just wanted to like see if you knew anything about it because I was kind of like yeah he looks like, he looks like sickly like pale like gray or whatever. Yeah, I mean I mean if there is some kind of storyline reason for it, I I don't think there is. I I just think it's the I mean you could blame it on the 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 core uh, the core the poor uh, color palette process at the time because you know it was like the newsprint colors. I mean you know it's the same notion of like you know they couldn't do silver right like it's like the the silver was you know the the light blue on white like it was the same idea for that so i i'm i'm just guessing that that's you know that that was the tone that they ended up using you know as far as that goes but yeah i mean it, it's 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 kind of obvious where you're like looking at him and you're just like oh hey he's got a gray face you know but that's that's that was the palette they had i guess so Reports I read say the beast is orange. And white and brown and yellow, and one thought it was striped like a barber pole. <laughs> so naturally you think it's an ugly shade of all green. Oh, what I think is that you're eating your red, white, and blue heart out, because I've got Shield International Clearance into Canada, and you don't. Says here. Well, uh, that was uh, Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, uh, Thunderbolts podcast. Uh Derek, why don't you, uh, you know, do the usual thing, tell everyone where they can find us. So if you want to listen to uh, the backlog of episodes of Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, you can find them over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. If you have angry, angry emails, if you think we are incompetent, you can send us angry emails at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. In addition to Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, we've got all kinds of spinoff shows. We are on social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, reshares, tweets, etc. that we receive. And I think that about does it. Sweet. So this is Mike signing off. Give us the files! Uh, this is Derek, Derek WC, and, uh, you know, I, I think you may consider changing your name to <laughs> Elements of Failure! Signing off. This is Justin, and I want to fight some aggro humans. Mike, get in my boat. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> Topical. Thunder. Thunder, 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 about being a big star they say you're basic they say you're easy you're always riding in the backseat now i'm smiling from the stage while you were clapping in the nosebleeds thunder 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 th
Sorry. I had to get up and let my cat in. She was scratching at the door. Your cat is incompetent! <laughs> she was in my room like an hour ago. And she was like, no, wait, I want to go somewhere else. And then like, she's like, oh, no, never mind. I want to come back into your room. Perhaps you should consider renaming her Kitty of Failure! <laughs> Records a call! Records a call. I thought I'd been recording the call. I'm just starting some backup! Okay, and I'm recording as well. And I got my summary that I had to write because there was no terrible summary I could just fix or whatever. But I don't, I don't think Snoopy completely understands Baron Zemo. He's got like this kind of disturbed look on his face. <laughs> kind of like he doesn't quite understand what's going on. His eyes keep darting back and forth. It's like, is my master a Nazi? Yeah, exactly. He's like, I don't know that I approve of this. I'm half black and half white, you know? Like, I, can't, I can't have my master, can't have my master be part Hydra Nazi. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God.